Welcome to episode number 15 of the From the Booth podcast. My name is Cody Clark. His name is Evan Eichen. And Evan, we are fast approaching the uh, Christmas holidays. Have you got uh, everything in order? And do you have any uh, exciting plans for the holiday? Uh, I've got almost everything bought. I just, I could live to be a thousand and I will never figure out how to actually wrap a gift. <laughs> so I'm going to have to track somebody down who's actually good at that. Uh, we're having the first Christmas on the day itself, and then on the 29th in the afternoon, we're going to the Spirit Lake Arnold's Park area for Christmas with uh, gr- with grandparents, so my mom's parents. So we've uh, we've got quite a bit coming up, and uh, we're we're pretty excited about it. Very cool, very cool, man. That's that's fantastic. Hope it's a uh a good holiday season for you. Hope it's a good holiday season for everyone listening to the podcast. We uh, we greatly appreciate you tuning in. Evan, let's start, I guess, with we've got a couple of, of, of pretty big stories here, but we're, we're going to start in the NFL, and we're going to start with Drew Brees because we have a new uh, all-time passing touchdowns leader in Drew Brees after the Saints beat my Colts 34-7, to a drubbing on Monday Night Football. Drew Brees, Evan, was fantastic. He missed one throw. He was 29 of 30. He threw for 307 yards. But more importantly, he had four touchdowns to break Peyton Manning's all-time NFL touchdown passes uh, to to break that mark, to take the number one spot. Uh, and, and just a really an amazing accomplishment when you look back at, at what Drew Brees has done in the career that he has had. You know, I don't know if he gets enough uh, if he gets enough buzz or gets enough love when we, we start breaking down, you know, we love to have the, the greatest quarterbacks of all time debate. And when you start looking at, at the record book and you look what Drew Brees has done, I don't know if we give him uh, enough love. I know we factor Super Bowls in at that position quite a bit, but Drew Brees is, you know, one of the all-time greats if you look at completion percentage, obviously if you look at touchdowns, and you just look at what he's done in his time in the league. So that was a very cool moment on Monday Night Football to see that happen because uh, uh, everything that he has been through to be able to come to New Orleans and deliver the sort of success that he has for a Saints franchise that was desperate, uh, excuse me, desperately in need of it, uh, just a really cool moment for Drew Brees, his family, and uh, and for the Saints uh, as an organization as a whole. Well, the for the majority of Drew Brees' career, it coincided while the nation was enthralled in the Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady rivalry. And for the first few years, he was on a San Diego team that outside of LaDainian Tomlinson didn't really have a lot going for it. And he went to the New Orleans Saints in 2006, which was the year after Hurricane Katrina, and he showed up at the same time as Sean Payton. And you remember that 2016 went on that magical run, went to the NFC title game, and wound up falling just short of the Super Bowl. They wound up winning one in 2009, and they've come they've come close a couple of times to get back to the Super Bowl, most recently last year. But I don't think this got talked about all that much when Drew Brees broke the record. He's sitting at 541 touchdowns right now. Tom Brady is at 538, which means that if Tom Brady throws four touchdowns next in his next game against Buffalo, that Drew Brees doesn't have the record anymore. Tom <laughs> Brady does. Right. So given that Tom Brady is also right there, 
Cody, I'm going to ask when we when the regular season is finished on the 29th, who's going to have the record? Is it going to be him or is it going to be Brady? Uh, I think it's going to be Drew Brees. When you look at what New Orleans or excuse me, you look at how New England's offense has struggled. Uh, they basically have one reliable target in Julian Edelman, I guess two in James White out of the backfield, and they use him as the slot receiver as well. But And then you look at Drew Brees, and he has uh, a, a guy named Michael Thomas uh, who's having a historic uh, NFL season. So I'm going to say Drew Brees has it. Uh, I think Tom could very well throw three or four this weekend and get pretty close to tying that mark back up. But at the end of the year, I would say that Brees has it. Uh, I think he's got more weapons on offense uh, he's got a better cast of characters around him. And frankly, you know, with the Saints being right in it, they may rest some guys, they may not. But New England, you know, they're going to have to, you know, they're kind of in a position where, sure, they could rest some guys, they're in the playoffs, but they're really fighting to get that two seed, to remain in that two seed spot because uh, the, you you want that home that home game and try to be able to play at home up until the uh, AFC championship game. If you're not able to get the one seed, which it looks like that's going to be the Ravens. So I'll say drew Brees uh, because I, I trust the offense more right now. And uh, I think that will be your leader at the end of this season. Now, you know, we don't know what the future holds for really either of these guys, but at the end of this year, I'll say Drew Brees still holds on to it, albeit by a very slim margin. Drew Brees, 541 touchdowns. He broke the record at the, in the first half, but it was called back due to penalty, which the New Orleans crowd was not happy about. They were not. He turned around, broke it again, and at the end of the game, he talked about, you know, I could have gone 30 for 30 because he threw that one incompletion. And also, Cody, I feel bad uh, saying this because you are a resident Colts fan, and I picked the Colts to go to the playoffs and Frank Reich to win coach of the year. That loss officially knocked them out of playoff contention. All being, all being considered what happened with Andrew Luck retiring and everything that happened, with Indy, would you consider 2019 a success for Indianapolis? I would. I wouldn't say success because you're not going to finish with a 500 record, and even even with Andrew Luck going down, we saw before Jacoby Brissett injured his knee, and it looks like his knee's still bothering him a little bit. But we saw him play really well, and we saw the Colts play really well, especially early on in the season. Uh, those early wins against Tennessee, against Atlanta, a, a big win against Kansas City when the, the Colts kind of burst onto the scene and said, hey, you know, we're, we're going to be a force to be reckoned with this year. That was part of a three-game win streak. They went back-to-back beating Kansas City and Houston. Then they ba- uh, barely eked one out against Denver, and since then it, it, it has not been kind. Uh, it has been a 1-6 in six record since that point. But, it, it, you know, I wouldn't say success because I don't think any anybody in that locker room would tell you it's a success. But I think you learned a lot about the team because you you learned, you saw that Jacoby Brissett might be that guy for right now. I don't know if he's going to be the long-term answer, but you signed him to that two-year, uh, $30 million deal. You're paying him 15 a year. And early on in the season when he was healthy, 
uh, he was delivering at that clip. And so I think there's a little bit of confidence there that he can be that guy. I don't think it's any question that they need to concentrate on on adding some weapons on the outside. Uh, T.Y. Hilton has been in and out of the lineup. He's been injured. Zach Paschal has come on as a nice uh, number two option and a number one option when Hilton is out of the lineup. But uh, and, and you have Jack Doyle at the tight end position. Uh, Eric Ebron had gotten hurt. So, you know, there's a, a lot of extenuating circumstances there for the Colts. But, you know, I, I don't think there's any question that they found a guy in Darius Leonard at the linebacker spot uh, in this, this last couple of drafts. Quentin Nelson at the guard spot. You've got two all-pro type players that you've got there with some of the young talent, Marlon Mack, Zach Paschal, those other guys I think they're trending in the right direction, but there's still a lot of needs to address on the roster. And so I I wouldn't say a success, but I would say uh, pleasantly surprised with how they played early in the season. And if you can add a couple of weapons, you know, if you can keep your quarterback healthy there, uh, because if Brissett doesn't get hurt, you know, who knows what happens. But, you know, so I, I wouldn't say success, but I don't think the Colts are very far off. And Evan, we've talked about it ad nauseum this year. You look at that division, Tennessee's come on with Ryan Tannehill, but, you know, the the Texans, you know, an extremely talented team with DeAndre Hopkins, with Deshaun Watson, but a team that some, they just they just haven't really put it together either. So this division is really wide open. So if you're the Colts, you're not really happy with the year you had, I don't think, this year, but you also understand everything that happened and you get some guys healthy, you add a piece or two, all of a sudden, I think you're right back towards the top of that division. Jacoby Brissett finished the year, well, not finished the year, but so far this year, he's completing 63% of his passes, 18 touchdowns, six interceptions. Indianapolis sitting at 6-8 and eight out of the playoffs, so they still have a shot at an 8-8 eight and eight record. Staying in the AFC South, the Jacksonville Jaguars fired their executive VP of football operations, Tom Coughlin, after it was revealed that the team was fining players for missing off-season workouts and doctor visits, which is something that is prohibited in the NFLPA, by the NFLPA. And there were some numbers in that statement that I found pretty alarming, is that roughly 25% of all grievances came from the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the statement from the NFLPA had a pretty damning line in there, Cody. And it said, quote, it, it said, quote, as a player, you should consider this when having an opportunity to pick your next club. That is a very strong statement. Oh, 100%. That was, that was an explosive letter that the uh, NFLPA had. Uh, you can go online and read it, but yeah, Evan, it, it's such a wild situation. They they find Dante Fowler Jr., uh, who is with the Rams right now, but former Jags defensive end. They find him seven hundred thousand uh, dollars because they wanted injured players. They wanted injured players to rehab with the team and at team facilities during the off season which is a violation of the collective bargaining agreement of the NFL. And so as you pointed out, you know, players filing grievances because the Jaguars were fining uh, them and handling those matters that way in terms of wanting them 
to do this at the team facility and trying to compel them to do so through issuing fines. And you mentioned it, a staggering 25% of grievances. That's all grievances filed in the past two years uh, that players have filed have gone uh, have gone against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, Tom Coughlin got the axe for it. Uh, Shad Khan was, you know, ha- explained the decision. You know, I, I don't think that Coughlin was going to make it through the year anyway. Shad Khan said as much, but then when this came out, I mean, it was impossible not to just go ahead and speed up that process by a few weeks and let Coughlin go. But yeah, you mentioned it, Evan. You as players may want to consider this when you have a chance to select your next club. That is a death sentence if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, players talk and those things get around anyway, so I think it's going to be difficult for Jacksonville to rehab that image uh, in the first place because, you know, guys definitely spread that around and people know those things going into a situation in free agency when you're looking to sign with different clubs. But now the fact that the NFLPA is out on record as issuing that statement, as having done this investigation, releasing the number, uh, that percentage of player grievances filed, uh, that high number of 25% being just from the Jacksonville Jaguars and players and former players alone, that is a damning statement, a damning letter, and this is going to be a very difficult hole for Jacksonville to dig out of. This was a team that two years ago was on the doorstep of the Super Bowl, and since then, Anything that can go wrong <laughs> has. In 2017, they went 10-6, and six, went to the AFC title game against New England, and fell just short. Since then, they bungled the Blake Bortles extension, where he's now back up in the Los Angeles Rams. Which, by the way, the LA Rams have a, an unusual number of ex-Jaguars. Yes, um, they do. <laughs> they, there was the very public and very messy... A split between Jacksonville and Jalen Ramsey. They gave $88 million to Nick Foles. He was injured, and then he was benched. When he was healthy, he came back and was benched for Gardner Minshew. And it appeared for some time that they were heading towards a total house cleaning, which means that head coach Doug Marone and GM Dave Caldwell, in all likelihood, are not long for the Jacksonville Jaguars among players getting their money back from a grievance is Leonard Fournette was fined $99,000 for behavior or conduct unbecoming of a professional. I think were the words he was able to file a grievance and get that money back. Well, if I'm a Jacksonville Jaguars fan, I'm hoping that if we completely clean house and start over, we can just say, Hey, That was the old regime. This is the brand new Jacksonville Jaguars. This is not going to be a problem anymore. No, that's a, that's a fair point. It's going to be a difficult process because yeah, as you mentioned, when you start looking at this situation, you dive into what has happened, the accusations, uh, the grievances, you know, former players have come out, you know, Jalen Ramsey, Dante Fowler, they, they weighed in on Twitter with some emojis and some different things. Uh, You talked about Fournette getting money back players, getting money back. That was fined. Uh, by the that the Jaguars find them, they're getting it back, uh, uh, you know, recouping that. But this is a situation, as you point out, where the hope is that you you you've. I mean, I don't see any other way really than than pretty much clearing this whole thing out and starting again because 
you you don't have the trust of the players. You don't have that that trust that you need between your uh, players on the field and your coaches or the front office. You know, I think Marone has been a dead man walking for a few weeks now, as you mentioned, general managers. You know, this is something where I, I think you've got to just clean people out. You've got to start over and you've got to get guys in and, and just work from the ground up to try and rebuild those relationships because you mentioned it. I mean, this is a team we saw the, uh, 2017-2018 season, they get to the AFC Championship game. Since then, as you mentioned, pretty much anything that could go wrong has. They are 10-20 and 20, uh, in the last 30 games since reaching that title game in uh, a couple of seasons ago. It has been a rough go and a tough fall for the Jaguars here recently. And, you know, they made it tougher on themselves uh, you know, the as you mentioned, the Bortles thing, sign Nick Foles to the big money, then he gets hurt, he comes back, he's not playing well, so he gets benched for Gardner Minshew. There's a lot going on in Jacksonville right now, and it sure feels like stripping it down and then trying to rebuild it back up and regain the trust of, of everyone in that locker room is maybe the only way to salvage uh, salvage the situation right now. In 2017, they had a point differential of plus 149. 2018, they finished 5 and 11, had a point differential of minus 71. This year, they're 5 and 9, and their point differential is minus 103. So, just nice. to show you how steep that decline has been, because 2017, they had, you know, Jalen Ramsey was young, Leonard Fournette was a rookie, they had a Saxonville, and they had AJ Boye. We're like, oh, okay, like Jacksonville's got something here, and then it it just fell apart. Yeah, and and they were, you know, and they were young, and that's you're looking at it as you talk about those guys. You look across the board, and you go, wow, you know, you've got AJ Boye, Jalen Ramsey shutting guys down. You have the big bruising running back in Leonard Fournette. It looked like Bortles, you know, could do enough to to get to help you out there. And I like a lot of the pieces they have right now, especially at receiver, Chris Conley, DJ Chark, DD Westbrook. Uh, they've they still have Fournette. There's still a lot of pieces there, but I, I think just a, completely aside from the product on the football field, there's there's so much that they have to figure out off of it and in the front office that it's got to start there because there's still a lot of talent on the roster. There's just I don't think a lot of belief from that talent on the roster in the guys leading them. And that's a recipe for disaster, and so that's what the Jaguars have to try and figure out. And they've got a long way to go if they're going to clean up what happened with that situation. Because when the NFLPA, in a letter, outright tells players, hey, maybe you don't want to go to Jacksonville. Like, that is probably the most damning and aggressive thing the NFLPA could have possibly said in that statement. Yeah, no, no, you're you're exactly right. I mean, you're telling guys to, you know, not telling them don't sign there, but basically, hey, you know, in, in not as many words saying, hey, don't sign there uh, because of what is happening, uh, we, you know, with all the fines, the grievances. Now Tom Coughlin is out. Uh, I'd fully expect a GM and a head coaching change there as well. And Shad Khan has his work cut out for him. 
uh, if he would like to get this team uh, back to where they need to be. Evan, let's look forward into this weekend at a handful of games, a handful of storylines as the season is winding down. We look at the playoff standings right now. Baltimore is your number one in the AFC. New England has a one-game lead in the two-spot over Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City, who is getting uh, a little bit warmer here recently. Houston is at four, Buffalo's at five, and the Steelers right now winning a tiebreaker over the Titans for the sixth spot based on uh, conference uh, win percentage. And having a couple of big games when we talk about that AFC. Uh, we have a Saturday slate that has a couple of important AFC games. Buffalo is at New England. Buffalo coming off of the win uh, against Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. New England coming off of the uh, win against the Bengals. And we have Houston at Tampa Bay, a Tampa Bay team that is as very hot at, uh, of recent very hot recently here, having won four in a row and Jameis Winston looking like uh, a world beater in his last couple of games. I've got my eye on that Buffalo-New England game because that is a big one in terms of that division and in terms of the playoffs. Uh, I think that's going to show us a lot. You know, Evan, I liked what Buffalo showed against Pittsburgh. Uh, I, You know, the criticism of the Bills is Josh Allen and that offense but their defense is going to have them in every game. And aside from some of the fumbles, Allen has turned the ball over much less here recently, and I think Buffalo is uh, trending in the right direction to really give some people some fits in the playoffs. Plus, there's still an outside chance that they could win the AFC East because they are right there behind New England. If they beat New England on Saturday and then they're going to need a couple of things to happen in Week 17 – they could walk away with the AFC East title. And speaking of uh, conference championships, Tennessee, or not Tennessee, Houston can lock up the AFC South if they beat Tampa Bay. So looking at that Houston-Tampa Bay game, if you are a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, you are getting the total Jameis Winston experience. He is second in touchdown passes, leads the league in interceptions, and this is a stat that I could not believe when I first saw it. So, Cody, Jameis Winston has thrown an interception on the first drive of the season five times. Wow. Guess what their record is in those five games? Uh, I would say not good. Oh, no, it's very good. It's four and one. That is, that's one of those that just doesn't make sense stats because that just shouldn't happen. Four and one. And of the top five wide receivers in terms of yards, Cody, all five of them are in the NFC South. Chris Godwin and Mike Evans are top five in receiving. And we've gone back and forth about whether or not you can talk yourself into Jameis Winston. This feels like they're going to franchise him. It feels like he's going to get the franchise tag in the offseason. Well, that's what I would do because, you know, the turnovers for me are too much. And, you know, like you mentioned, you look at the touchdown passes, you look at he's leading the league in passing 4,500 yards. Uh, You look at what he's done the last couple of weeks – uh, he went for 458 against Detroit, four touchdowns. And then in a win against Indy, a shootout, he went 456 and four touchdowns. Now he's also he also threw one interception against Detroit and three interceptions against Indy. For me, the turnovers are just too much. But you look at the way he's played here recently, 
that's something that you can't ignore. And I think the franchise tag is a, a pretty good answer for it because you don't have to commit long term. Uh, you just you tie up that money in just uh, one year of Jameis Winston, and basically it's hey, prove it again. You know, can you can you do this on a consistent basis? We've seen him be able to put up numbers. That's not the problem. The problem is he turns the ball over so much that you you know you you just can't have that at the quarterback position. I mean, yeah, you know, if you're Brett Favre, you can you can maybe get away with it, but Jameis Winston, he's one of the most interesting polarizing guys to watch for me because you'll flip on the game and you're watching the game and watching him run the offense and he makes some unbelievable throws and he's got a couple of nice weapons outside but he makes some great plays and then you watch him make a couple of throws that are interceptions or that fall incomplete that you're just like how in the world can you make the throw that you just made three plays ago and then you just completely airmail one for an interception or you go three and out because you you miss three consecutive passes like it just doesn't make sense to me and he's one of the most interesting guys to watch because when he's on like he has been the last couple of weeks save the turnovers he's really really fun to watch and so i think as you point out i think the franchise tag is a perfect solution because he'll get a hefty paycheck he will You'll have him for one more year, and you'll say, "Hey, basically, you know, prove it again. Can you, you know, can you do this again?" Evan, I think it's interesting when you look at that division. We don't know what the long-term future of New Orleans is. If this is more the Jameis Winston, if he can cut down on some of those turnovers, the Buccaneers they have won four games in a row. Now, granted, it's the Falcons, the Jaguars, the Colts, and the Lions but they've put up 35, 28, 38, and 38. If this is a a, a potent offense and this is something that they can keep, you get a little bit better on the defensive side of the ball, and there's some uncertainty on the future of Atlanta. There's some uncertainty on what the Panthers are going to do. Maybe Tampa is able to take advantage and build towards creating a team that can get on top of this NFC South. That is a real possibility because Bruce Arians – uh, was able to take a team that had Carson Palmer and multiple times make deep playoff runs, including one trip to the NFC title game, and I believe 2015. I believe that was the year they went to the NFC title game and then ran into the buzzsaw that was Carolina that year. <laughs> this is a Tampa Bay team that, on paper, is putting up ridiculous offensive numbers. They have arguably the best one-two receiving combo in the NFL with Godwin and Mike Evans. They can't seem to figure out the running game because right now they've got uh, a three-headed monster of Jones, Peyton Barber, and then Dare Ogunbowale. So if this is a Tampa Bay team that could fix their running back issues, maybe get a Melvin Gordon or draft a guy early in this year in next year's draft Tampa Bay could be a pretty scary team Jameis Winston including fumbles has turned the ball over 29 times this season 24 interceptions five lost fumbles if he's able to you know shave a few turnovers off this is a seven and seven Tampa Bay team that we could be looking at them being nine and five. Oh, absolutely and you look at the way that Jameis has played this year Evan and he gives you some of that Jekyll and Hyde, but you look at some of the games that they've played. 
Uh, they went to the Rams and put up 55, uh, a, a seven-point loss to the Saints. They lost to the Panthers uh, one time and then beat them one time, but close games both times. Uh, losing by six in Seattle. Then they beat the Cardinals, uh, got doubled up by the Saints, and then they've run off four in a row, and the defense has played better. You know, it was, uh, of course, the Jaguars and the Lions that they only gave up 11 and 17. Uh, other than that, they've been giving up a lot of points defensively. But if this is the offense that you're going to get, you make a great point. You're able to figure out that running game. Then all of the sudden, you know, you add a couple of de- you continue to add a couple of defensive pieces. They have a couple of guys that I like, especially uh, Shaq Barrett defensively, Levante David at linebacker. I'm a huge fan of uh, Devin White as well. Both of those guys I like. So a pretty solid uh, young linebacking core. There are pieces in place for Bruce Arians in Tampa, and you know it's it's just a matter of can Jameis kind of put all of this together in terms of maturing and not turning the ball over because we know the talent is there. We've seen him put up the numbers. We've seen him do it time and again. He's never going to be the most accurate passer. He's always going to be hovering around that you know sixty percent mark somewhere in that facility, uh, somewhere in that vicinity. He's sixty one, almost sixty two this year. But if if they can kind of figure out some of those things, maybe he is the answer. And so, as you originally pointed out, I think the franchise tag would be a perfect opportunity and solution here because you don't have to commit long-term money and you see, you know, if Winston does this again, okay, you know, he might be our guy, but you know, if he does a, you know, a, a Jameis Winston again, and it turns out next year and it's, you know, and it's 18 touchdowns and 25 picks instead of, you know, 30 touchdowns this year and 24 picks, then, you know, maybe you're like, okay, we're not really sure what's going to happen here. We'll move a different direction, but I don't think, especially when you look at this NFC South, I don't necessarily think Tampa is super far off of being right there uh, and knocking on the door because, you know, we just don't know what's going to happen with some of these other teams here in the next year or two. And one of those teams is the Carolina Panthers. The Carolina Panthers have decided that they have seen enough of the Kyle Allen experiment. Kyle Allen went five and seven as a starter, 17 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. And they are going to turn to rookie third-round pick Will Greer. Will Greer started his college career at the University of Florida, left Gainesville, reappeared in West Virginia, made West Virginia a a viable team that was sitting in the AP Top 25 for a while, gets drafted by Carolina, and the last two games of the year, we're going to see what he has. Cody, this is a Carolina team that you already know is gonna is gonna have a new coach next year. Uh, new owner David Tepper has been relatively non-committal about the status of general manager Marty Herney. So let's be conservative and say that we're gonna have new coach, new GM, and it's gonna be a, a fresh a fresh regime in Carolina. You have. Cam Newton under contract for one more year in 2020. Do you do you ride it out with one year of a healthy Cam Newton and see what you've got? Or do you start over, whether that means drafting a new guy or taking a chance on somebody on the open market? Uh, I think all good questions. And I think, you know, something that they're going to look at and I, what I, you know, I believe will factor into this 
is Will Greer in these last couple of games because they know what Cam Newton gives them. And we have a pretty decent sample size of who Kyle Allen is. Will Greer is kind of the wild card here because he's the draft pick that they had. He had gotten hurt a little bit earlier in the season, but this is a hometown kid. I think he's from Davidson, North Carolina. This is, you know, this is their chance to see where he's at because Carolina right now is in the 11 spot of the draft, I believe, at last check. They're in that 10-11 spot. That's going to be, in my opinion, you know, where maybe a Tua, where maybe some of those guys, some of those other guys might be, depending on how it shakes out at the top. And so you're going to get a chance to see Will Greer. Now, a couple of games is not a massive sample size, but you're going to Indianapolis and then you get the Saints at home, a very tough matchup against the Saints in the last game of the year. But I think these two games will tell you a lot because. Evan, they don't really know yet what they have from Will Greer in game action. You know what Cam Newton is going to give you, and you've seen what Kyle Allen gives you. And, you know, Kyle Allen showed, you know, you'll you'll play 500 football, sub-500 football. Uh, They've struggled recently. uh, I believe lost six in a row. But you kind of saw what he does for you. Now's a chance to say, okay, we know what the other two guys are. Let's see what Will Greer gives us a couple of games uh, against a couple of decent defenses, uh, decent in the Colts and very good in the Saints. So a chance to say, okay, look, we don't love any of these guys. It's time to address that here in the draft. Maybe Will Greer plays well. You know what? Let's roll with Will Greer this next year. If it doesn't go well, we'll look to the draft next year. We'll see if we can trade Cam Newton. Kyle Allen can be our backup. We like where we're at. Or Will Greer is fine. He's the backup. Maybe Kyle Allen is our starter for a year. We trade Cam Newton. Maybe they decide to go Cam Newton. I don't know. But I think it's two very important games here for Will Greer because the Panthers really will get a chance to see where all three of their quarterbacks on the roster where they stand, and that will let them make that decision. Evan, I don't see Cam Newton back for the Panthers. I could be wrong there, but I see Carolina moving on from Cam. Whether it's to go with Allen, Greer, or somebody else, I don't know. But just in my opinion, I think Cam's time in Carolina uh, has, has come to an end. This is where we this is where we differ on this. Cam Newton recently said of his future with Carolina, quote, in order for me to leave, they've got to get rid of me. And when you look at his base salary in 2020, he's making 8.6 he's making 18.6 million, which in the current quarterback market is a massive bargain considering the the going rate of where everybody goes. He has a cap hit of 21 million dollars. So why not stick with him for one year? Because as the great movie No Country from Old Men once said, you don't know what worse luck, bad luck is saving you from. So let's say they let Cam Newton go. They roll with Will Greer and it doesn't work out. And then you're back at square one and you've got to find a guy all over again. So why not stick with a 31-year-old Cam Newton in 2020, play out the end of that contract, and then going into 2021 you'll have a better chance of who you like, who you don't like, and you'll get a chance at guys like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and whoever else is available in that draft class because the consensus is after the the three quarterbacks of Tua, Herbert, 
and Tua, Herbert, Joe Burrow, and Burrow in that order. There's Jake Fromm and Jacob Eason, and there's not really a lot of what people think are sure thing first round guys after that. So I would stay with Cam Newton for at least one more year, see what I've got, and then reload in 2021 if I have to. That's fair, but I know what Cam Newton is. I know what I have. Like, like there's not a lot of differentiation when you look at who he has been with, you know, with the foot injury, with some of the other injuries he's had. I mean, I, I guess you could keep him to see if he can take that next step and be a pocket passer, but he's not able to use his legs as much with the injuries. You look at his career completion percentage, it's below 60. It's 59.6. He had uh, a 2018 that was 68%, and he had a 2013 that was 61%, but everything else, 20, uh, 2012, below 58%. 2014, 58%. 2015, 59%. Uh, 2016, 52%. I think they know what he is. And so I guess the point, I, I guess what the next step would be is, hey, we'll keep him around. The salary doesn't cripple us and we'll see if he can take a step as a pocket guy because he's not going to be the Cam Newton of old. He can't be the Cam Newton of old with some of the injuries that he's had. He is getting a little bit older. He would have to take the next step as a guy to make reads and play more from the pocket. And being a sub-60% passer, I don't necessarily know if he can take that next step. So that is where I would balk. Now, you make a lot of good points in terms of he doesn't cost you a ton, and he gives, you know, relatively speaking to the market, and he gives you a lot of experience at that position, and he gives you, you know, a lot of, he's built up a lot of equity in that franchise. And for all accounts, they love him. He's a great guy. He does a ton for that community. Uh, if you, you just look at, at what he's done over the years, uh, in his time in Charlotte. So it does make sense to keep him, but I just don't, like, you know what you have, and, and I don't necessarily think if you kept him for another year that there is a, you know, there is a massive breakout next step that Cam has to be that guy from the pocket and to, to get Carolina back to where they, where they were uh, a couple of years ago. I don't see that step being made. So maybe that's where I'm maybe that's where I'm wrong, but I think you already know what you have and so that's why they've, you know, that you know when he got hurt, they had to go to Allen. Now they saw what they had from Allen. They're now they're going with Will Greer for a couple of games because I just don't know if they're necessarily on sold on Cam being able to take that next step in his development as a guy that would that probably won't be able to rely on the run game and the physical part of it in a way that he has in the past with some of the injuries that he's had. So that's where I would stand. But you make a lot of great points. I mean, he's not, relative to the market, he's not a very expensive guy to have on the roster. And with what he has done for the team, with the equity that he has built up with this franchise, he's an easy guy to keep. The guys respond to him. He leads the team well. So there's it makes a lot of sense in that regard as well. So I think you've got an argument on both sides. I'm fascinated to see what they do because, you know, they're they've had a year where they're, you know, going to be able to try out all of their guys and really sit down after this year and say, "Okay, you know, where are we going? What does the future look like here over the next 3 to 5 years 
and beyond, they're going to be in a position to do that. And I'm very interested to see kind of who comes out on top and who they decide to go with to try and get that done. Well, if they're pressing the reset button, which seems highly likely, I can see why you would let Cam Newton go. Uh, Part of me is still holding out hope that he could, you know, be 2015 Cam Newton again. But the other part of me is like outside of who you're going to draft within the top 10, maybe Justin Herbert falls or like a Tua Tagovailoa that people are scared off by the hip stuff. Outside of that, it's pretty slim pickings in terms of the quarterback market. Uh, You got Bridgewater, Andy Dalton, Case Keenum. Like there's not really a whole lot out there that's going to excite me as a fan base and as a new owner that, yeah, we're going to press the reset button in Carolina, and here's our new starting quarterback, uh, Case Keenum. That's not something that's going to get fans in Charlotte too excited about the 2020 season. When I look at how much he and how much he costs, considering the going rate for quarterbacks is like probably 20, 25 a year, he's making less than 20. It's the last year of his deal. He's built up so much equity within Carolina. Why not let him end his time with that team with at least a little bit measure of dignity than he had a foot injury, played a couple games, and then we just cut him? No, that's a great point. And like I said, I I think that is a very distinct possibility, and that's going to be something to watch. You know, they're going with Will Greer. You know, if the wheels fall off the wagon here in the last couple of games, you finish, you don't win either one, you finish 5-11, and 11, that's going to improve your draft stock. So maybe, you know, you go from the 11th pick to the 8th or 9th pick, and that might change it because if you're able to get into that top 10, maybe you do like one of those quarterbacks. So it's an interesting place that Carolina is at because as we saw with Kyle Allen, it's still a very competitive team. It's still a pretty solid club on the defensive side of the football. You've got some weapons there with Christian McCaffrey. You know, they're in a spot where they were able to stay afloat and be in a lot of games and get some wins with Kyle Allen at quarterback. So it's going to be fun to watch what this Panthers team is going to do because I think there is a there is a lot still to be determined for them, uh, especially at the quarterback spot. But going to be fun to watch how they kind of navigate through these this the rest of this season and then moving on beyond that Evan a quick look at the NFC does anybody want to win the NFC East I guess we'll figure out this weekend who would like it Dallas or Philadelphia but uh in as far as the NFC playoff picture Seattle jumping up to the number one spot uh they went they would win a tie over Green Bay based on win percentage in common games uh that Seattle, Green Bay, and New Orleans are all 11-3. and three. They've all clinched a spot in the playoffs. San Francisco has locked one up there in the five seed. Minnesota looks like they're locked into the six seed. Dallas and Philadelphia, that four spot is the only one really that seems to be left to be determined outside of some seeding in the NFC, and they're both going to play this weekend. What, what do you see from that Dallas-Philadelphia matchup? Who do you like in that game? I really want to see Philadelphia win just because I want week 17 for at least some measure of the NFC to to matter a little bit because there's a chance that things that all six seeds could be wrapped up 
Because if Dallas wins, they win the division. And if Minnesota wins and the Rams lose, then Minnesota's in. So all six NFC seeds will have been clinched. In terms of how this division's going to go, it's been a game of just hot potatoes. Like, well, I don't want the division. You take the division. No, I don't want the division. You take the division. But the fact that the Eagles are 7-7 seven and seven with the rash of injuries that they've had on – the, especially in the receiving core that Carson Wentz has been able to make this work is pretty impressive. I I want to see the Philadelphia Eagles win just because week 17, I want to see what happens, but I think I have to go with Dallas to, to win this game. I, I want Philadelphia to win, but I think Dallas is going to wind up winning. Uh, it, something to watch, Dak not taking a lot of snaps this week, uh, likely to play Sunday, but uh, a sprained right shoulder is going to keep Dak out of much of practice this, or, or has kept him out of much of practice this week, and he will go into that game with that designation. But yeah, Evan, you know, the Cowboys, a tough team to figure out. Philadelphia, the rash of injuries that they've had, a a an uninspired win against the Giants, an uninspiring win against the Redskins, but it's a couple of wins to get themselves back to 500 and put themselves in position to play a game at home to try and beat Dallas and try to get themselves into the playoffs. They play the Cowboys, and then they go to the Giants in the last game of the season. This is a Philadelphia team, as you mentioned, absolutely ravaged by injuries, especially at the wide receiver position. Zach Ertz is is the number one target. And when a guy named Greg Ward has has kind of moved into your number two target, you know, outside of Miles Sanders out of the backfield, that tells you how it's gone. Aguilar's been hurt. Deshaun Jackson's been out forever. Alshon Jeffrey going out for the year. Uh, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside got hurt recently. It is Zach Ertz. Dallas Goddard, Miles Sanders, and Greg Ward Jr. That's pretty much the uh, the extent of, of where Philadelphia is at. And you got to give them a lot of credit because they have battled in the last couple of games. It has not been pretty, but they've been able to put themselves in position to get to the playoffs. And Evan, I've been impressed with Carson Wentz over that stretch because, you know, when all of those things start falling apart, you know, it really shows your colors uh, as a quarterback leading this team. And he's done what he's had to do the past couple of weeks. In uh, the game against Washington, what ended up being a 37-27 win, it was you know much closer than that, and they scored the touchdown at the end of the game before the fumble uh, recovery touchdown made it a 10-point uh, final margin. But he was excellent in the fourth quarter. He finished for, uh, with 266 and three touchdowns. And he's done enough to be able to keep them afloat. And so I've been impressed with what Carson Wentz has done. And now the Cowboys are going to come to town. Dallas has been a a very tough team to figure out as well with all of the talent that they have. To me, Evan, with the Dallas Cowboys, there seems to be a... It points to the coach and maybe a coaching change is necessary. Because if you look at the talent on this roster, Dak Prescott at quarterback, uh, I believe second in the league, 4,300 yards. You have one of the best running backs in the league. You have Amari Cooper, 1,000-yard receiver. Uh, You look at the young talent they have uh, defensively, uh, a little banged up at the linebacker spot, but when you look at the guys 
Jalen Smith, Leighton Van Der Esch, uh, Sean Lee there as well towards the end of his career, stepping in nicely uh, for Van Der Esch. This is a team that has a ton of talent. I can't seem to figure out why they're 7-7. Seven and seven. I don't know. If I had a good answer for that, I would I would share it, and I I don't have one. I've got I've got no idea. Because it's just one of those things where you look at it and and you know they started the year they beat New York, Washington, Miami. You know they put up thirty one plus in all of those games. They looked great. Now all of those teams are are not very good, especially in the defensive secondary. So Dak put up a ton of uh, numbers early. Cowboys were rolling. Then it was three losses in a row. It was New Orleans, Green Bay, and the Jets. And so you're like, okay, a couple of playoff teams, close loss against New Orleans in a tight game. The Green Bay game wasn't as close as the final score said. Green Bay handed it to them uh, in Dallas. And then a tough loss against the Jets. But then they blew out the Eagles. Then they took care of the Giants. A tight loss to Minnesota. So you can look at it and say, you know, a four-point loss to New England in a game that, you know, a couple of things break the other way and they they have that game as a win a loss to Buffalo, you know, they've lost two, pretty, uh, two playoff teams. You know, they've lost some tough games, but this is a team that with all of the talent that they have, they just haven't necessarily put it all together. And so it, for me, I'm, you know, that's the game that I want to sit down and watch. I think that's the most interesting one because, you know, it's it's one of those things where the Cowboys haven't played consistently well this year, and you look at them and they're 7-7, seven and seven, but if they're able to win the division, Evan, one of those other teams is going to have to come to Dallas and play that Cowboys lineup in a playoff game. The Cowboys have enough talent to to make a run in the playoffs, in my opinion. And so you just look at it and the way the seeding and the playoffs play out, even Philadelphia, you know, one of these teams is going to get a home playoff game. And so you've just got to get in and create that opportunity for yourself. And I wouldn't be surprised if either one of these teams, you know, was able to make a little bit of a run here late in the year. I would be more inclined to say it's Dallas because of the injuries that the Eagles have had. But, you know, I wouldn't put it past either one of these guys because whichever one wins the division, you're going to get a home playoff game. And one of these teams is going to have to travel to you and play that game. This is an NFC that is, it's six deep. You can talk me into any of the six teams, assuming Minnesota hangs on to the six spot. You can talk me into any of those six teams going to the Super Bowl. When was the last time you could say of an entire side of a playoff bracket of, okay, yeah, I I can see why they'd be in the Super Bowl. No, that's a great point, Evan. Towards the end of the podcast here, let's just look at it real quick. Seattle, you have Russell Wilson. And you've got a decent defense, but it's a team that runs the football really well with Chris Carson. And you have Russell Wilson. He's a winner. And so you look at they might have the number one seed. You look at the Green Bay Packers, you know, much improved defensively. You've got a guy named Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. You know, you look at the quarterbacks of those top two seeds right now, pretty darn special. I would be fine getting behind either one of those, uh, one of those teams to be able to say, hey, they could get all the way. The New Orleans Saints. They play great defense. Guess what? A guy named Drew Brees and a guy named Michael Thomas out wide who has had one of the best wide receivers, uh, who's had one of the best seasons as a wide receiver we've seen recently. Then you look at San Francisco. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo, we've seen him be able to step up in spots this year in the five uh, in the five seed currently, but an 11-win team and a team that might have to go on the road, uh, a team that plays great defense as well. 
Minnesota, also a pretty good defensive team. Kirk Cousins is at a nice season. If they can get, if they can keep Dalvin Cook healthy, you know, and, and Thielen is healthy with Stephon Diggs, ton of weapons there as well. And you look at the Cowboys and the Eagles, they're kind of the the redheaded stepchildren in terms of when you look at the standings and how they've played, they would seem to be on the outs, but we know that Dallas has the weapons to get it done. And we know Philadelphia with Carson Wentz, we've seen it the last couple of weeks, you know, it's not going to be pretty, but they can get it done. So you make a great point. I mean, I could, you could definitely talk me into any of those six teams you know, any given weekend in the playoffs to say, you know what, this team could make a deep run and push for the Super Bowl. And you can't really say that about the AFC side. On the AFC side, you've got the Baltimore Ravens and almost likely MVP Lamar Jackson. You've got the New England Patriots that you have the institutional memory of they're the Patriots and you don't bet against them, but they've looked extremely mortal at times in the season. Then you've got the Kansas City Chiefs. They've got Mahomes... You know, the Kansas City Chiefs has, have Mahomes and Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, where if they if they get hot and they get rolling, okay, you can talk yourself into Kansas City. I can't talk myself into Buffalo. I can't either. And, and I can't talk myself into Houston because I don't know what version of Houston I'm going to get. Great point. I agree on both of those. I, I you, you probably couldn't talk me into either one of them. I mean, because I don't know. Am I going to get the Houston that – harasses Tom Brady all day, or am I going to get the Houston that gets lit up by Drew Locke? I don't know what I'm going to get week to week. And then there's, there's the sixth seed, and right now, Pittsburgh hangs on to the sixth seed. I just watched Duck Hodges through, throw four interceptions to, granted, a, a loaded Buffalo Bills defense, and Tredavious White is one of the best corners in the league. Uh, I, I can talk myself into maybe two and a half AFC teams going to the Super Bowl. Not all six. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And so it's just, you know, it's so fascinating here late in the year when you look at it, where these two conferences are at. AFC much more top have much more top heavy. NFC seems to be wide open. You've got five double digit win teams uh there right now. Dallas and Philadelphia can't get there, but five of the six uh seeds, top six seeds in the NFC will be 10, 11, uh, you know, 12 or 13 game winners. So that is going to be fun to watch. And Evan, before we wrap up the uh, episode here, just wanted to touch on the James Wiseman stuff real quick because news broke that the James Wiseman era at Memphis is over. Uh, It lasted just three games. Wiseman, of course, has missed the last seven as part of that 12-game suspension that the NCAA handed down uh, he was set to return. Uh, I think it was. I think it was South Florida on January 12th. But he announced on Instagram on Thursday, yesterday, that he will leave the program. He's going to hire an agent and begin preparing for the 2020 NBA draft. And Evan, this is this is sad for me because Wiseman was extremely talented, and you saw that in the three games that he was able to play. And then, of course. The NCAA suspension has sidelined him for the past seven. ESPN currently projects him as the number three pick. He is a hands-down lottery pick, probably going to be one of the top two or three in the draft. Is this a good move by Weissman to just go ahead and shut it down and uh, prepare for the draft? Would you have liked to have seen him uh, continue to play games for Memphis when he comes back? Where do you where do you stand on that? From what I've 
been told or understand from what I've read is that this is not going to affect his draft position whatsoever. In the, This isn't like in college football where Joe Burrow coming into the season can have 200 to 1 Heisman odds and he's probably a third, fourth round pick and then he just vaults himself to number one overall. Like that kind of thing does not happen when it comes to basketball. I feel like this in the long run could be a huge loss for the NCAA, especially when you consider top prospects like LaMelo Ball and RJ Hampton said, no, thank you. I'm going to go play in the Australian league instead of going to college. Is there a chance that we're going to see more and more top high school prospects be like, you know, I think I'm going to go to Australia or Germany or Italy I'm not interested in the one-and-done college experience. I'm going to go play in Europe for a year and then go to the NBA. You're kind of seeing it now where teams go to Australia and not Europe. Like, Brandon Jennings and Emmanuel Moutier kind of started it, but I feel like this could be more and more uh, frequent when it comes to where the high school guys are going to go. No, that's a, that's a great point. And you look at how it's panned out here just in the last few years – I absolutely think that that is something that you could see as a trend happening with these guys. You know, Wiseman, I've seen him mocked at number one. I've seen him at two. I've seen him at three. I haven't seen him past three. I think he's going to be a top three pick as a kid who is uh, over seven feet tall, uh, 240 pounds, uh, a really, really skilled, talented player. You know, he is going to be a top pick there. So he's saying, you know what? And I think you make a great point. Everything that I've seen as well, you know, if you put out the feelers, if you've, you know, you've kind of surveyed the landscape, you have people telling you, you know, and it's got to be people you trust and people that are plugged in and connected. But if it's not going to affect your draft stock, then there's, you know, there's a much less chance uh, of, of injury playing in a game for Wiseman. Now, he's going to be doing basketball-related activities and preparing for the draft, so there's always a chance you can get hurt. But he doesn't put that wear and tear on his body, and he's able to focus on his body. He's able to focus on his game individually with coaches, with an agent, and really just devote all his time to that to prepare for the next level, that could be something that can be appealing for guys. You talked about R.J. Hampton, LaMelo Ball, both going to Australia and playing, foregoing the college system. Maybe this is something that uh, does become a trend because you're going to see Wiseman be a lottery pick. You're going to see, I think, LaMelo Ball be a guy that gets picked. And R.J. Hampton is a guy that's in that first, uh, that I've seen mocked in the first round. Now, he's probably... You know, what I've seen, maybe, maybe you know, 8 to 20, 10 to 20, maybe in that range, but still a guy that is very talented and is getting to prove himself at the professional level right now. So very interesting to monitor this trend because that's going to be something to watch. You know, you've got these guys doing this, and kids are definitely paying attention to how that goes. And they're definitely watching these players to see how that pans out for them uh, moving on to the next level in terms of the NBA because that is the ultimate goal, not just playing in college, but ultimately being able to be picked 
in the NBA draft and playing for an NBA franchise. So very interested to see how this pans out. Uh, apparently the decision from Wiseman took Memphis's coaching staff by surprise uh, per uh, a couple of reports from ESPN. Uh, sources said Wiseman left town Thursday morning uh, and he will start taking meetings with agencies next week and, and to figure out how to move forward and how to uh, prepare for the upcoming NBA draft. And you pointed it out. I've seen multiple reports doesn't look like this is going to affect his draft stock at all. He's probably going to be a top three, a top five pick at the worst uh, because of the size that he has, the skills that he possesses, the talent. He's not going to fall much farther than that. So maybe a, a good decision for Weissman to go ahead and shut it down and say, all right, I'm going to go ahead and prepare for the draft. So that is going to be something interesting to watch as well and it's not like this is a memphis team that as soon as he left is gonna crater they're doing just fine without him so it's not like memphis is gonna go from ncaa tournament to we're gonna lose like 17 18 games (laughs) right right they're a very good team a lot of talent they had a top recruiting class obviously they wish they miss wiseman a guy who you know you look at what he can do uh basically a 20 and 10 guy in the middle at the center position. So obviously you miss a guy like that, but with the recruiting class that they have, Precious Achua and all of those guys, they are playing well. They're doing just fine, and we'll see how that pans out for them. Uh, Evan, that's going to do it for us here on Episode 15. We are rolling right along with these uh, here on the From the Booth podcast. I really appreciate your time. really appreciate everyone's time taking uh, an hour of of your time to to listen with us, to follow along in the podcast. We greatly appreciate it. Check us out on Twitter at FromTheBoothPod. Uh, as we always say every week, you can pretty much catch us anywhere you get your podcasts, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, we're there, uh, tune in, we're there. So, uh, look us up, find the episodes, subscribe to them so you can get notifications when we post new ones. Uh, if you're on Apple podcast, give us a rating, drop us a comment. A few of you have already done that. As we said, greatly appreciate that because that really helps us out when they go through and rank these things and they do all the algorithms and, and all that stuff that's that's well beyond my understanding. So if you've done that, we greatly appreciate it. If you haven't, go ahead and do that for us. Check out the podcast, follow along with us. We will have a, an, an end-of-the-year uh, review podcast. That is coming soon, so stay tuned for that as well. But until next time, for Evan Eichen, I'm Cody Clark. Thank you guys for listening, and this is the From the Booth podcast. <laughs>